Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, at New Abbey, we love conversation time because we believe that this is an opportunity for you to get to know other people in our community. Like I say a lot, I understand that if you are an extrovert, this is like an opportunity for you. In COVID, you have been waiting all week to talk to more people. As an introvert, you are thinking to yourself, conversation time, what an awesome opportunity to go make pancakes. I get it. But maybe this is an opportunity for you to hear from someone else or to share your story and in doing so expand your view of your own humanity and the story of God. And so you can click with the chat button. What's it called? Conversation time. We changed the button. I don't know. What what are you going to do? Conversation time button. There's a link in your bio. We'll send you into Zoom breakout groups where you can have a conversation with somebody. And in good old New Abbey style, we have a very light question to start off with today. Who in your life do you have a tough time seeing as a person? Uh, I hope that is just nice and light for you to jump into. Who in your life do you have a tough time seeing as a person? Enjoy. Last week, Sissy talked about loving your enemies, and so much of loving your enemies is your capacity to love yourself. But eventually, if you're going to love your enemies, you also have to love actual people. We don't live in monasteries, and we're not monks, and we can't just constantly love ourselves and figure out our own life. Eventually, we have to get out there into the wild and see other human beings. Eventually, we have to go onto social media and see that there's other people who have different opinions than we do. Eventually, we have to get on the interstate and allow people to cut us off. That the process of loving yourself and loving God is always part of the process and the dance of loving people also that it's this constant give and take. It's a moving target where you're figuring out yourself and honoring who you are, honoring the acceptance and celebration that God has for you, and then how do you offer that to other human beings? So this morning, we're gonna talk about this idea of loving your enemies, and the way that we love our enemies is that we actually see people as people, and that we don't see people just as objects. And so to do that, we got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about people as people. And if we can talk about that, then we're going to talk about Southwest Airlines. Come on. Then if we can talk about Southwest Airlines, then we can talk about the fact that people are actually not objects. And if people aren't objects, then we got to take a little master class with the master Jewish rabbi, Jesus. And then if we can do that, then we have a public service announcement for all of you. Then, of course, we got to talk about how woke we are because you're all a bunch of liberal elites. I know who you are. And then if we're going to talk about that, then, you know, MAGA. And then if MAGA, then we're going to talk about who's good and who's bad. And then hopefully we're going to bring it on down with a little bit of seeing. So, What I find so fascinating about the last couple weeks is that 75 million Americans voted for Joe Biden, which means that he received more votes to become the president of the United States than any other president in the history of the United States of America. The person in the history of the United States of America who's received the second most votes ever for president is Donald Trump. He received 70 million votes. Nobody else has ever received that many votes. Barack Obama would be third in 2008 when he received uh, 68 million votes. So that should tell us something. And one of the things that it tells us is that our country is completely divided. 
that we live in a world and we live in a place right now of rhetoric where we demonize other human beings, human beings, and we divide one another based on the fact if you are a D or if you are an R. And the reality of who we are at New Abbey is that we are a Jesus community. We are not a Democrat community. We are not a liberal community. We are not a progressive community. We're not a Republican community. We are a Jesus community. Realizing the fact that the kingdom of God, that the reality that Jesus invites us into, that the perspective of what Jesus has for us is far bigger than any political party. You may, as you follow Jesus and mature in your life, decide that one political party represents more of the values of Jesus for you than another political party. But, us, but let us never confuse our allegiance. Let us never confuse who it is that we follow. That we are Jesus followers in a Jesus community trying to tell the biggest story of God, not trying to tell the biggest story of the United States of America. And so when I see the fact that 70 million Americans voted for Donald J. Trump, I have to ask myself some questions. Because let's call a spade a spade. New Abbey is a progressive, liberal, affirming, recovering, evangelical, deconstructing, reconstructing, Black Lives Matter kind of community, which means politically, the vast majority of people within our community are Democrats. Spoiler alert. I knew you're, what, really? We even have like four Republicans in our church. I know. And I've had lunches and dinners and coffees with people where they're like, I don't know if I have a place here. And for me, it's even more of, then we're not honoring the diversity of humanity if you don't believe you have a place here because of your political ideology. And then we're trying to tell a bigger story of who God is. And so after an election, when you have someone like Donald Trump, which I've said in here a lot of times, is a lightning rod. He does not even represent the values of the Republican Party. He is something altogether different for me. And where I tend to go is, then these 70 million people must be idiots. They must be deplorable. Something must be wrong with them. They're all racists. We've all heard the rhetoric. We've all said the rhetoric. We've all reposted things on social media. But when I live into the life of Jesus, that can't be the case. How can I have such a bias towards 70 million people? And the answer for that is, I'm not seeing them as people. I'm seeing them as objects who disagree with my political ideology. When I see 70 million people vote for Donald Trump, I'm forgetting the fact that they have hopes and dreams and desires and wants. And truthfully, a lot of their basics, hopes, dreams, desires, and wants are the exact same as mine. They wanna to go to bed in a safe place. They wanna know that they're gonna be able to pay their bills next month. They wanna know that their children are gonna have opportunity for education or for healthcare. We all go about it in different ways about how we want to accomplish that thing. But as human beings, we all desire the same thing. And we live in a time and place in history where we so quickly write people off because we begin to see them as objects. And we tend to see people as objects in our lives when they disagree with what we want or when they hurt us or when uh, they believe something that we don't believe. And that's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus never once asks you to believe in him. Jesus asks you to follow him. And following him is way more difficult. A belief in something is simple. 
It can be an ideology that you have in your head. But to follow Jesus, you have to constantly cross boundaries, even to people whom you don't like. And we'll get to boundaries and accountability at the end. So if you're like, well, what do I do with that? And these people are, we'll get there. I get it. We'll get there. Give me a little bit of time, hopefully less than 45 minutes. I'm just joking. I'll get you there in 23. Um, And we can talk about that a little bit more. So one of the places that I often see myself as seeing other people as objects are the spaces in life where there's just a little bit of distance or a little bit of separation from me. One of those key places is on Southwest Airlines. When I get on Southwest Airlines, because I have been a good card-carrying Southwest Airlines credit card member for enough time, I am an A priority list member, no big deal which means that I get to get on the plane a little bit earlier because I remember the days of flying Southwest Airlines and you miss your 24-hour window and you get that little C boarding pass, which C stands for center seat, not good. And so getting on the plane, I do what any selfish human being would do and I get on the plane, I get my nice aisle seat that I want and I put a bag right there in that middle seat next to me right? And I get out my book, and I get out my water, and I just try as hard as I can to make this seat look so unappealing because I'm a selfish human being when I get on an airplane. I wish I could tell you differently. I'm not. This is what I do, and it's not okay. And sometimes I catch myself, and I have a little Jesus moment, and I got to take the bag up, suck it, start, put it in the carryaway, and, and realize the fact that there's a bunch of other human beings on this plane who have the same hopes, desires, and dreams that I do on a Southwest flight. They are inconvenienced by everything that going to an airport is just as much as I am. They have somewhere to be and loved ones to get to, to you know, loved ones to whatever you're going to do, hug them. They have things that they want to do as human beings just like I want to, and I forget that at times because there are times in our life where we easily see other human beings as objects. Another place that's not just Southwest Airlines for me, traffic. How many of us have been in the left-hand lane and then we see an eighth of a mile away is our exit and we pull the Hail Mary going across six lanes to get to our exit and you've had a couple moments there. One, you've had the person who's honking at you and you're like, what, come on, man, I'm just trying to get over here. Or you have the other person who slows down gently and graciously lets you in, and then you get off on your exit. And then how many of us have been on the opposite side of things? We've seen that person just making that, right, uh, daredevil move across the interstate trying to get to their exit, and we're laying on our horns, and we're all pissed off, and we're angry, and little do we know that person is trying to get to the hospital because their baby is being born. Or maybe a snake was in their car somehow. I don't know. What I do know is that I want everybody to be gracious to me on the freeway. What I do know is that sometimes when I get late to the airport, I'm hoping and crossing my fingers that there's some people who are gonna let me in a seat on the Southwest flight and not be pulling my move of like, I dare you to ask me to move my bag because we're human beings. We tend to want so much grace, but we don't always put it out there. How many of us curate and cultivate our social media And then you curate and cultivate your social media. Somebody has a different opinion than you on there. And if you are brave enough to post things on Facebook, well, you are just putting that to the wolves and sharks of baby boomers. You know what's going to happen. They didn't grow up with social media. They don't even have the etiquette for this kind of thing. They're going to chew you up politically. I'm just joking, baby boomers. You know I love you. I care about you. 
And I'm so glad you don't even know what Snapchat is because it's filthy and it's for another generation. So what happens is, is that there's all these places in life where we distance ourselves from human beings, where the one inch of metal and windows in our car makes us see other people as objects instead of people who have the same realities and wants that I do. In a political election, we don't see people as people, we just see them as colors of blue or red. In traffic, we forget who people are. On social media, because of the distance of a screen, we forget that these are other people with opinions and thoughts just like me. I don't have to agree with all of their opinions and thoughts, but I can still see them as a human being. And this is not a conversation about the fact that you can't ever have boundaries with people or that you can't hold people accountable for ideologies that are destructive or hateful in the world. This is a conversation about seeing every single person as a person, even if you disagree with them and even if they've hurt you. And that in your capacity to see them as people, it may actually change the way that you actually have healthier boundaries with them and the greater opportunity that you would actually have for accountability, dialogue, or conversation. And what happens when we move away from the corporate and we move to something more personal? Because I know in my life, there's all kinds of people, particularly family, and we're entering into a season of the year going into Thanksgiving or Christmas, where for some people it's the most joyous time of the year to be with family, to be around a table, to have memories, to cut that turkey open, whatever the thing may be. And for other people, family is one of the most painful places for you. Family is one of the places where because of the way maybe that you've been treated, because maybe of the way that you've grown up, that these are no longer people to you, but these are just objects who have hurt you some step of the way. And the reason that we make people objects is because a lot of times we want to get what we want or we're trying to guard or protect ourselves from who they are. But the problem is, is when we make people objects and when we don't see them any longer as people, we tend to actually make the problems worse. That instead of leaning into loving them and actually loving yourself and loving God, we do the very thing that they did to us. And the story of Jesus is always about us not continuing to transmit pain in the world, but to be transformed by it so that we can offer healing. And it's a much more difficult path to follow. And it takes a lifetime to figure out, but it's a path that we should all seek after. And so one of the things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus often tells us stories that reveal to us who God truly is or who we truly are as human beings. That oftentimes we have all of these untruths or these lies about who God is or about who human beings are. And Jesus comes and shows us, right? Allows us to experience a different version of the divine or of ours and other people's humanity. And so one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever shares is the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus puts on a masterclass in teaching for us because Jesus is subtly in telling this story, asking us all kinds of different questions. Here's a few of the questions I think that Jesus is asking us. What if we all see people as objects? What if we see people as good or bad? What if we're living, living into a binary world in the universe? What if we all have bias? What if we pick and choose the villains and the heroes in our own story every day, and because we pick the villains and the heroes, how does that create more hurt and pain in the world? What if we're all blind to the humanity in others? That when we get into this story of Jesus, Jesus is gonna challenge us in some different ways. So follow along with me in Luke chapter 10. 
One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper to two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I want to give you a little public service announcement before we go back into this passage and break it down. I am uncomfortable to preach the next part of my sermon. I hope you are uncomfortable to hear it. I can only imagine that good Jews who were listening to Jesus' story 2,000 years ago were incredibly uncomfortable in the story that Jesus had just shared with them. Because what Jesus was trying to do was to shake up their reality and their perspective that justified the belief that they were right in all circumstances. And instead of being the chosen people of God who offered grace to their neighbor, they were actually creating more exclusion. In their belief of their religious piety, they actually hurt more people. And I've given this sermon before, and I've used for the religious leader that these were evangelicals oppressing us and hurting liberals and the LGBTQ community. But today, we're going to do it a little bit different. And we're going to look at ourselves in the story. And hopefully, as we look at ourselves in the story from a corporate point of view, then eventually we can look at even some personal places in our life and we can fit into this story how we either see people or don't see people or how maybe we even see people as potential objects. With that PSA given, let's jump into this thing. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I would say it this way, maybe one day a liberal progressive who has deconstructed some stuff and who thinks that he or she is so much smarter than those people in middle America stood up to ask Jesus some questions because they no longer go to that kind of evangelical megachurch. They've listened to the liturgist podcast and they've read two and a half Rob Bell books so they know better. Just saying. 
And they challenge Jesus on some things because they've been so busy deconstructing ideology that maybe they haven't rebuilt and reconstructed a place where they see other human beings as human beings or where maybe they've potentially been so hurt by others that they believe that now hurting others in the same way somehow makes them more woke or smarter than the people that they're running from. And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? And what I think is going on here is that Jesus is always the master at asking us different questions. That again, Jesus was asked 307 questions and Jesus asked 187 questions in return and only answered three, which tells me this, that God is much more interested in the types of questions that we ask about our lives than in the answers that we give. That God is much more okay with us continuing to ask difficult questions about who God is, about what it means to be human, than to have some wrapped up tight answer for how we should do everything and that where we use the Bible as an offensive weapon instead of a means to get deeper into our humanity and what it means to be us. And so the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Jesus, again, is inviting somebody into the practice of following him. Jesus says, right, now go believe that thing. Right, you've read a few books, you've deconstructed a few things, you've asked some bigger questions. Now, if you just believe in that ideology in your heart, you're gonna go heal the world. Wrong. That's the beginning of something. And education is the beginning of empowerment, but it is not the final process of reconciliation. You have to go take the new things that you've learned and you have to go live them out in the world. You have to go interact with other human beings who don't see the world in the same way that you do, and that's incredibly difficult. And here's the real bummer about following Jesus, that the onus is always on those who have more maturity. I get it that they're saying horrible things. I get it that Donald Trump is a shithead. I get all of that. But what is your responsibility and maturity online versus that maturity over there? And how in you living into that maturity do you show the love of God, the love that you have for yourself and the love that you have for human beings in a different way? And then maybe there's a more compelling message in the world when we see people as people but the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And isn't that what we all do as human beings, regardless of where you find yourself on any spectrum? That part of what it means to be human so much is we long to be right. We long to justify the things that we believe in in the world, and why? Because we're evil or depraved? No, but because we are all the center of our own universes. We all only have our experience and our reality to pull from. And it takes a ton of maturity, a ton of self-awareness, a ton of ownership to ask different questions about yourself, to not justify yourself, to be open to the fact that others may have something to teach you, maybe even your enemies, about potentially who God is or what it means to be human or about compassion or about mercy so that you don't repeat the same biases and harms that were given to you and that you have a greater hope to offer others. So Jesus replied with a story that Jesus often gives questions for questions and Jesus often tells stories, almost exclusively tells stories instead of saying this plus this equals this because that doesn't work for the human experience. 
Instead, Jesus tells a story that says, I want to invite you into this to think about it in a way that may challenge and offer boldness and truth in your life in a different way. And again, I have used this sermon many times to rail against evangelicals. I grew up as an evangelical, so they're one of my own, and I love to shit on them more than others. That's a weakness of mine. But that's not what today is. Today is challenging my own again. The progressive, liberal, whatever, oftentimes Democrats to say, now that your candidate has won, what kind of four years are you gonna offer the other side? Four years where they're human beings or four years where they're objects to your ideologies? A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. I don't know why when I read that I always say banditos just because some words are better in Spanish than English. Like caballero, better than cowboy. You should use it every time. They stripped him off his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. A progressive, liberal, recovering, evangelical, one of your own black, trans, homeless kid who was just at New Abbey was leaving and was attacked in the alleyway and was stripped of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when they saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by, which is saying this, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed him by on the other side. Two of his own saw him. Two of his own saw another human being in need, but they've been so used to being blind to this. A hipster from Hollywood who had just deconstructed so many things and listened to a podcast saw the homeless person lying there, but has seen 70,000 other homeless people lying there and chosen this moment not to stop. This is not a process of guilt or shame. This is just a process of challenging us in our reality. That what Jesus is saying to his audience is incredibly uncomfortable. What Jesus is saying is one of your own was leaving the temple, coming down from Jerusalem, going home. And your leaders, your priests, your Levites, your temple assistants, they were going up the hill to go to Jerusalem, to go worship God, to go be about the thing that they're about. But they're ideologies got in the way of their humanity. Their religion got in the way of their compassion. Their politics got in the way of seeing people as people. And maybe they had other things going on. Maybe they were just too busy. Maybe they've just seen so many human beings on the street like this that they forgot about their opportunity for compassion. Then, I love this. This is like one of those like then, Bum, bum, bum. Or what's that sound that they make in, uh, you know, Law and Order? Like, dun, dun. Right, That's, this is like, then, dun, dun. Uh, a despised Samaritan came along. Then, somebody who's not like you. Then, a Samaritan who in Jesus' culture, these were people who were impure. That back in the day when all of the Jews had been exiled to Babylon, the people who were left over who were the poor, uneducated folks were left and they ended up having a little bit of a different pivot on the Jewish religion. And so when those Jews came back from exile in Babylon, they looked at the Samaritans and said, well, you're impure. We were over there in Babylon. We were fighting the good fight. We were about the right ideology. But when we came back, we realized that you were doing the wrong things. And they excluded these people. Instead of including, offering opportunity to see them as human beings, they now became one of the most despised people for the Jewish audience. Isn't that fascinating that Jesus takes our enemies and our villains and the people that we despise and makes them the hero of the story? 
And Jesus takes the people that are our own and says, what if you have blind spots? And what if your blind spots means that it's really hard for you to love your enemies or yourself because you can't love other people as people? Then a despised, MAGA-wearing, Trump-touting, in-camouflage, flag-bearing, straight, white man came by, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. That the person who we've demonized, who said is evil or racist and really not human, even though we know nothing about them, stopped and saw a person as a person, for whatever reason in that moment, saw something that maybe we couldn't see and had compassion. So much compassion that going over to him, the MAGA-wearing, Trump-touting conservative with the flag, maybe throw a rifle on there, soothe the wounds of the man who was hurt, the, the Democrat, progressive, liberal, trans, homeless kid, with olive oil and wine and bandaged him, put him in his F-150, took him to the local Mattel, brought out his Amex and said, if he needs to be here for a few more days, put it on my card. If that's not enough, I'll also pay for his emergency room bills because I can't imagine what it was like for this person to be hurt and wounded in this way. And it's almost impossible for me to imagine that, which is the critique on myself that I've so demonized 70 million other Americans because of my view of really one America, and that I have lost my compassion or capacity to see others. I'm uncomfortable even saying this to you. Again, I hope that you're uncomfortable. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. We have blind spots. We make other people objects, and in doing so, we forget the kingdom of God, we forget the Jesus that we follow, and we live into other ideologies, which may be better for humanity, but also can provide hurt and pain. And Jesus invites us into a broader story and then says this, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one, the MAGA guy with the hat and the camouflage, he showed him mercy. Why? Because he's a human being. And every human being is capable of doing this. Every human being, regardless of their biases and their hurts, is capable of seeing another human being in any moment as a human being. Any human being has the capacity for compassion and mercy, and may we never forget that. May we never be so blinded by our own politics and our own ideologies that we would rob the humanity of others, especially when we're a group of people who so believe that others have robbed us of our humanity. And if they have robbed us of our humanity, then may we live into a world that is transformed and loving where we see them as people, first. And then when you see somebody as a person, you have a much deeper capacity to have boundaries with them and to have accountability with what they're saying. I believe that there's nothing helpful going on in social media right now that is moving people from one political ideology to the other. I am sure it is almost exclusively reinforcing the beliefs that we previously had. And the other thing about that is we know from a technological standpoint that algorithms are just feeding us the things that we want to know. Algorithms are just showing us the people that we already like. And they're trying to move us away from the people that we don't like. And in doing so, we forget that there's 70 million other people out there who are people. And I don't have to agree with their ideology. I may can even say, because I so see them as a person, I have the capacity to love them and say, some of your ideology is destructive. 
but I want to have a conversation with you for the sake of having a conversation. And I'm a believer of this because we've all experienced this. When somebody has something difficult to say to you, when you know that they love you and they care about you and they have your best interests in mind, how do you receive that difficult conversation? And when you think that somebody already thinks you're deplorable, already thinks that you're an idiot, already thinks that you're a racist, how do you receive that conversation? That if we're gonna have healing, then let's go for healing. If we're gonna have love, then let's show love. If we're gonna show transformation, then may we be transformed. These are the things that I believe in, and it goes far beyond our political ideologies. This is the way of Jesus, and I love how Jesus ends. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Go and do it. It's going to be incredibly difficult to love other people who are different than you. And we're just talking about a macrocosm here where it's easy not to see people because we live in a land of D's and R's. But what about the people who've hurt you most in life? What about the people who've actually robbed you of your past? Will they get to rob you of your future? One of the ways that they won't rob you of your future is that through your healing, through your transformation, through your maturity, you'll be able to do something for them that they could never do for you. You saw them as a human being. And it's not about their change. It's not about their differing opinions. It was about your capacity to experience resurrection. It's the hard work ahead. It's the hard work of following Jesus. It's incredibly uncomfortable, but there is no other way to heal the world, to change it, and to offer it a greater reality and perspective. You're gonna get back in your groups and you're gonna answer this question with one another. How would seeing your enemy as a person change your life? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.